today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie You might remember a little while ago we spoke to Carol McKellar from Scotland whose 74-year-old husband Ian was facing prison in Dubai after making a noise complaint about a party that was happening next door to him on New Year's Eve last. Well, the good news is that Ian is now safely back in Aberdeenshire in Scotland having landed in the last 48 hours and he's on the line now. Ian, good morning to you. Good morning, Claire. Ian, we were very worried about you. We spoke to Carol and she was out of her mind, wondering what was going to happen. Uh, what was it like when you were there waiting and not knowing whether you'd be facing prison? Yes, that, that was obviously a very stressful time. Um, because initially, when I uh, was charged, I was led to believe, first of all, that probably the lady would withdraw the complaint that uh, this would be over and done with within seven days. But as time progressed, the police kept apologising almost and saying to me they'd done all they could, but the lady wouldn't withdraw the charge. And so time wore on, and eventually, I mean, I've been told by one policeman, I asked them, OK, wh- when is this likely to end? Because uh, initially, as I said, I'd been told maybe seven days. And he said, uh, oh, a day, a week, a month, a year and shrugged his shoulders, not in a nasty way, just given it as it was. And uh, and so I began to, uh, I really did begin to worry and get stressed and began to think that perhaps this might not end in the way that I would uh, want it to. Mm-hmm. So yes, it was very stressful. And we should remind people that you were over there for a visit to support your, your daughter. Uh, that you had No intention of, of staying in Dubai. You were planning on coming home, no. but you had to wave goodbye to Carol at the airport because you were compelled to stay in Dubai. That's correct. And um, that was probably the most difficult time of all. Um, we were scheduled to return on the 10th of uh, January. Um, you know, I went. I was taken to the police station on the second of January, and when they said to me, "This, this is no more than a week," I thought, "Well, that's good. I've got eight days until I'm due to return, or nine days." So I, I naively thought it would be done and dusted. I'd be flying home in the tenth, um, but that soon it soon became clear that wasn't the case. And for both of us, our visas actually expired on the twenty second, and so we took the difficult decision because Carol, like me, was running out of medication had no longer any travel insurance and she's had medical problems. So we decided Carol had to return that day. So I uh, went with her in the morning of the 22nd. She had to check in at 4am and that was probably the most difficult time. I I was quite emotional um, because I watched her going through the the gates and I thought I should be there. I... um, that said, there was, some, there was one or two light moments because we always go together, we travel together. And I just knew as she tried to go through the e-gates, I thought she's never going to manage this. She'll put her passport in the wrong way around, <laughs> which, which, she's, which she duly did and got help. And, I, and it gave me that sort of some light relief because mm-hmm. I was feeling very bad at that point. And then when she got to the conveyor belt where you put your luggage down, a chap helped her put the her case up, I remember thinking that should be me doing that. So that was very difficult and then turning around and walking away. Yeah, very tough. Because when I spoke to Carol, she was very worried about you because you were in regular contact, but she felt that you were going through a phase at that time where you were very down, you weren't 
in, in the form for chatting and she just felt your mood was very low. It was very low. I mean, I'm normally quite uh, optimistic and quite an effusive person. Um, but I found myself, I, I wasn't aware of it initially, but on reflection, looking back, I, I, I was definitely sinking into a kind of depression. And I wasn't thinking positively at all. I, I began to think of the worst case outcome rather than earlier on. I had been, as I said, optimistic that uh, things would be settled fairly quickly. But as time progressed, my mind started wandering down dark alleyways and um, I, wa- I, w- I wondered, you know, as I saw through the gates that day, I, I remember thinking, when am I going to be able to give her a bosie? A, a bosie, by the way, is an Aberdeenshire word for a hug. Mm-hmm. And I thought, when will, when will we have a bosie? It, it, it was clear, you know, I just thought, I cannot physically uh, touch her. We can talk through um, FaceTime and whatnot, but it wasn't the same. And I began to despair. And I began to wonder when would I see her again, particularly not knowing when this would be, even the case would be heard. Yeah, really, really tough. And then tell me what happened then that led to all of this being settled with a fine and you, main thing, avoiding prison. When did it all start? It was a call that you got on a Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the, the first thing really I should say is that Carol persuaded me eventually to get in touch with Radis Sterling and they detained the buy. And I, I wasn't keen because I knew there would be publicity and I just didn't want that for my family. But we did so. And Radha set the ball rolling. She was the catalyst for everything. And I'm pretty certain it was because of the press involvement, politicians, people like yourself, um, who helped greatly, Claire. I, I actually listened to the interview you did with Carol uh, online and I thought it was wonderfully done, really sensitive and very empathetic and I thank you for that. I, you're um, more than welcome and it was her really and her words. I think everybody who listened to that knew, just could feel the strength of your relationship you know, and, and what a desperate situation it was. And of course we spoke to Rada on that day too but you believe that, that that campaigning led to this phone call that you got in the morning and at that point yes. of, of a Saturday and you were asked to go down to the police station. So what happened? Well, I arrived at the police station at half past eight in the morning. I didn't tell Carol nor my daughter because we'd had a couple of previous similar calls which came to nothing and I thought I don't want to disappoint them. This nothing there'll be no change, I'm sure. So I didn't tell them. I went to the police station at half past eight. I was met by a very nice policeman who had met before, always sympathetic towards me. He took me along to the prosecution offices and told me I would be seen in about 10 minutes. Now, that was about quarter to nine. And about two and a quarter hours later, he happened to pass by and I was still sitting there. And he he expressed surprise that that should be the case. So he said, I'll go and find out what's happening. He came back a few minutes later. He said, I've spoken to the prosecutor. He's reviewed your case and he decided to pass it straight on to the court and the judge will uh, be with you uh, within the next half hour or so. And I was astonished because I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't prepared. There was no legal representation. I'd had no advice in advance about how to plead or what to do. Uh, and I'm not criticising the authorities because, in, um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, they had expedited the case and they had held it through this special one-day court for such situations. So mm-hmm. I was, on, on reflection, delighted. But I then was taken along to a small room and eventually, uh, and it was through a, a link with a, a webcam, I spoke to the judge. 
the, the charter to, to me, which was only trespass. It was translated, and the only words I heard in English was trespass. I didn't hear anything about verbal assault. I've since heard that it was verbal assault, but I didn't hear that. I was asked to plead guilty or not guilty, and because I did no time to consider it, I really didn't know what to say, I, and I thought maybe if I offer a plea in mitigation, but they soon stopped me and said, look, trespass, guilty or not guilty. And I knew, I thought, well, I have gone into someone's property without their permission. So I said, in that case, it has to be guilty. Uh, seconds later, the lady translating came back and said, the judge said he'll give his decision within 20 minutes and he'll attempt to treat your case with leniency and uh, clemency. And, and I, these were great words to hear. I was then shown into a, a, what I think was a small courtroom disused courtroom and uh, I didn't realise both doors were locked. It was only after about half an hour. I was really very cold. There was aircon on, I had a thin shirt on and I tried to open one of the doors and I realised they were locked and I was banging on the door and really couldn't get anyone to hear me. It was over an hour before anyone came in and then told me the verdict and I I was beginning to get a bit panicky because I thought... I can imagine, you're locked in a small room. I was locked in the room, Claire, and again, I suppose that's the way it's done, but no one had actually warned me that they were locking the door. And actually, as I said, there was no toilet facilities, of course, and I I was okay. I didn't need to use the bathroom at that point. But I was thinking, I I might be here for two or three hours now. And actually, I remembered, you know, I still had on my phone the the call that I'd got on Saturday morning, which was from the police station. So I called it. And a policeman, obviously, from downstairs in the same building answered. And I started to explain to him that I'm caught in this room when at that point the door opened and one of the court officials came in and said to me, 3,000 dirham. And I wasn't quite sure what he was saying to me because he really didn't speak much English other than that. And uh, he then took me through to a, a prosecutor's office and it was explained to me that that was it. There was no jail which was huge relief. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh, 3,000 uh, dirham, I, I looked it up last night, it's about 760 mm-hmm. euro. That's what you had to pay in, in a fine. Yeah, in, in UK money it was £650 and I was very, very relieved because I knew it could have been considerably more than that. But my relief then was tempered by the fact that the policeman said to me, OK, can you pay this now? And I, I thought, I don't think so because I just carry, a, I just touch and pay as I go along. I don't carry any cash and I don't have too much money in the card I'm using. I just keep topping it up from my Scottish bank account. Um, so I said, I'm not sure. And they said, OK, well, we'll have to take you to the jail just now until you can pay this. And immediately that caused me to think again. So I said, hang on, maybe my daughter can pay or whatever. But I thought, I'll check my bank account. But I couldn't get online. I don't know why I couldn't get online within the, 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 the building. And again, this pros- I think it was the prosecutor, very kindly said, look, I'll let you log on through my Wi-Fi which is what I did. I was able to check my bank account and I had exactly 3,300 dirham in my account. Wow. So you paid your money, Ian, and, and you got home. Listen, unfortunately, we have to leave it there, but it's such a, a great joy to talk to you. I know that you're safely back home with Carol and thank you both for taking the time to speak to us and we wish you well. I hope you have a lovely time over the, the coming days as you relax in Scotland. That's Ian McKellar.